If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. The conversation continues with Brian McLean and Steve Hook at State of the Nation on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, welcome to State of the Nation. I am Steve Hook, broadcasting live from the Central Jersey Shore, and there he is. That's Brian McLean. He's in Central Texas as we get ready for another big show today, Hash. I'm looking forward to it. We have a, a wonderful slate of guests today. I think that you would agree. Yeah, some uh, really interesting topics, too. I'm pretty excited to learn more about everything our guests are bringing today. Yeah, really, me too. I'm, I'm really kind of pumped about it. We've got... Uh, uh, even even our own Rick Munn, TNT's own Rick Munn, will be joining us here. He'll be our first guest in just a bit, uh, so that'll be fun. Uh, but there's all kinds of stuff to talk about, and the first thing I wanted to mention to you, as you'll recall, Hesh, we were talking about Peter Schweitzer's uh, new book, Blood Money, the other day, and it hit bookshelves today. It hit bookstores today, I should say. And some of the stuff in it is downright damning. And if you've read any of Peter's work, you know that he is absolutely, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He is as detailed as possible when it uh, when it uh, comes to footnotes. And, and, and in other words, he brings the receipts. He doesn't just make stuff up. This is not opinion stuff. So uh, some of the allegations in this book are damning, to say the least. Uh, scathing details reveal why Biden is silent on China's role in the fentanyl crisis. Joe Biden was outspoken in 1992. This is from the book. Joe Biden was outspoken in 1992 when it was exposed that Beijing was involved with the heroin trade. The then senator from Delaware showed initiative in calling out the communist leadership for its illicit activities. But now with the far more deadly fentanyl crisis, he has grown silent. When Joe Biden delivered the State of the Union address in 2023, so which I can't wait to see it this year as an aside, but it, it'll be uh, neat to see his cognitive uh, scale, how, how that floats. At any rate, in 2023, he talked about the fentanyl crisis, acknowledging the stigma associated with substance abuse, and he called for better substance abuse, uh, substance abuse services. Uh, in other words, he treated it as if it were a conventional drug and said we need to get... Uh, you know, we need to we need to get more uh, cops on the beat. We need to, uh, which is not happening. Uh, we need to have more crisis uh, counseling and this kind of stuff. So he treated fentanyl as if it were heroin. Well, Schweitzer said that he uh, that members of the first family had received thirty one million dollars in deals from a small group of Chinese businessmen with ties to the deepest and the highest levels of Chinese intelligence. Some of the businesses also allegedly funneled money to the Bidens, and they have direct ties with the fentanyl trade. Uh, and he got $5 million from a Chinese national who was a business partner uh, with the notorious triad leader. This would be White Wolf. Maybe you've heard about this. The cash flow, uh, he argues, connects the Bidens with Chinese triad associates. Triad associates, think Mexican drug cartel. That's what we're talking about. Schweitzer makes a connection between Yi Jingming, a mysterious Chinese tycoon referred to as Chairman Yi by Hunter Biden, who allegedly gave Hunter the $80,000 diamond as a gift and an interest-free $5 million loan, which is really a gift. They just wrapped it to make it look like a loan. Uh, and that was also in connection 
with this drug lord named White Wolf. Yi and White Wolf set up Shanghai Zenrong Petroleum Company together. White Wolf's gang, known as UBG, or United Bamboo Gang, go figure, also has a partnership with Mexico's Sinaloa Cartel, and it helps them in the production and distribution of fentanyl in the United States. Uh, the United Bamboo Gang helped to turn the Sinaloa, Sinaloa Cartel into the kings of fentanyl, according to the Mexican investigation of the cartel. Uh, White Wolf has been arrested and convicted in the 1980s on drug trafficking and racketeering charges in the U.S. The United Bamboo Gang, according to Schweitzer, is also involved extensively in the international drug trade, having sold heroin in the U.S. for decades. He cites one government report stating, quote, it is believed that the gang is active in several U.S. cities, including Chicago, Honolulu, Houston, Miami, Phoenix, and various California cities, United Bamboo Gang has built up a sophisticated network uh, capable of supplying members with guns, narcotics, and fraudulent identification. White Wolf also allegedly has close ties with the Beijing government. And of course, they do. Uh, senior communist officials in, in the CCP refer to White Wolf as Big Brother. So this is who, uh, which is kind of ironic in its own weird way. So here you go, Hesh. Uh, the Biden crime family is just that. They are a Biden crime family. So it is safe to say now, and tell me if you agree with this, that not only is Joe Biden in charge of the largest sex trafficking ring in the world, he's in part responsible for it, he's also in part responsible for the largest drug trafficking ring in the world. What a great president we have, huh? <laughs> well, uh, I guess Bill and <laughs> Hillary would uh, be proud of this uh, protege, maybe Obama too. You know, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of receipts, it looks like, in the book. I'm excited to get a copy and read it. I think it's also interesting how uh, in the book he's going to cover uh, the CCP's role in um, the social justice movement and uh, the destabilization of the medical establishment um, and just general sowing of decadence. I think that is very well illustrated in the way that TikTok algorithm works. So very excited uh, about this release, Steve. A lot of information in there that really provides context that all Americans should have. You're not kidding. I mean, when you read it, it's just... And the thing about Schweitzer is, like you said, he brings the receipts. He always has, always does. He had the book Clinton Cash. He had the book Secret Dynasties. All None of them were refuted. None of them were also covered by the mainstream media. They ignore this because to cover it would be to expose the entire web of deception from the Clintons to the Obamas to the Bidens and, frankly, to the Mitt Romneys of the world, to the Mitch McConnells of the world. There's a whole bunch of crookedness going on. But right now, the guy sitting at the head of the table is Biden, and he is directly responsible uh, for a whole bunch of it. It's pretty stunning stuff. Hey, at TNT, you know, we never go home. That's because we're committed to bringing you our take on the biggest topics of our time. We broadcast live 24-7, 365. No matter what, no matter where, we've got you covered on today's News Talk TNT. The latest headlines waiting for you. I follow the news pretty much throughout the day. Today's News Talk Radio TNT. Well, uh, Steve, you know, we were talking about this last week, and uh, here we go. We've got some uh, updates on the Trump case here, one of the Trump case, the New York civil fraud ruling against him and executives of the Trump organization. 
in which they were ordered to pay more than $450 million. We were kind of wondering, wow, is that going to happen fast enough? Well, uh, the appeal is taken from each and every part of the judgment insofar as defendants are aggrieved. The notice of appeal filed on February 26 reads, noting that the penalties in total add up to that enormous amount of money there. But uh, it looks like Trump has uh, basically paid it. They're calling it a $400 million scare tactic. And uh, now he's on into the next phase of <laughs> this one, Steve. So it uh, looks like we're off and running into whatever the, the next phase of this. And of course, you know, he just had to pay $83 million in a separate civil trial to E. Jean Carroll. Um, and of course, all was it 91? I believe it's 91 charges across the, uh, the different courts and cases he's looking at right now. But Hey, wouldn't it be nice to be able to just write a check for a cool $400 million and carry on to the next phase of a legal proceeding? Not many people can do that. <laughs> Which is exactly why they're going after Trump, because they know he can and they know it will bleed him dry. That's what they're trying. Now, of course, it's worth pointing out that this $400 million, it's not gone anywhere. It's sitting in escrow. Uh, most people assume that he's probably going to get that back. He's also appealing the E. Jean Carroll case. So she hasn't been paid a dime, even though she's gone on Rachel Maddow and said, let's go to Venice. Let's go to, uh, Europe. Let's, I'll buy you clothes. Only the best for uh, my, my, my friends in the media, even though she couldn't remember a month, day, year, decade that this apparent rape happened in a, in a, uh, what was it? Uh, some department store dressing room. Utter mm -hmm. nonsense. You know, yeah. speaking of Letitia James Hash, that whole this woman is it's so unbelievable how how just how just uh, transparent she is. This is all about hatred. This is all about making uh, you know trying to live up to the campaign promise of I'm going to bring Trump down. And Letitia James is sick. She said it was a massive victory. We won our case against Donald Trump, and now she's now she's peppering him with just. She's taunting him. Uh, she says, oh, and by the way, uh, that's going to be $114,553.04 every day in interest until it's paid off. I mean, what kind of a, what what in the hell kind of a prosecutor does this? Um, that's just somebody that hates the man. It's so obvious. Yeah, yeah, very, very obvious. Well, hey, you know, an another thing that's going on this week that's worth mentioning, the U.S. Supreme Court yesterday heard oral arguments in two really big cases, Moody versus NetChoice and NetChoice versus Paxton, uh, to determine whether Florida and Texas can enact laws prohibiting social media platforms from moderating content posted by their users. So, uh, you know, you, you probably recall when this first started coming up, Florida and Texas made a big deal out of it and said, you know what, this this is not going to fly. We're going to take it to court. Well, it's hit the Supreme Court this week, and uh, I'm gonna, I don't know the update from what happened yesterday yet, but uh, I've got it bookmarked to go back and, and keep an eye on it as we go through the week on this one, because this is a pretty big case right here. If that were to go the way uh, that Florida and Texas would want, that could have some pretty big ramifications on social media. Uh, it seems almost to me, Steve, like something that would be hard technically to pull off. Like, how do you unravel all of uh you know all of that content moderation for just two states or you know is it a is it a pretext for removing it in in all 50 states and it gets into freedom of speech around the world internationally 
which ironically is what we're going to be talking with our friend Rick Munn about coming up pretty soon here. But I thought I'd throw that out there just, you know, kind of as a backdrop for what we're going to talk about. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how the Supreme Court rules on this. And this is this is part of the problem. You see, when the Internet first kind of came online for the public anyway, uh, back in the early to mid 1990s, they wrote up all kinds of basically you have freedom, freedom to do whatever you want. Uh, it's it's the wild, wild west. Go for it. We don't want to tamp down on a growing industry, which, of course, has turned into basically the largest industry on the planet and the largest industry that the planet has ever known. Now that genie has been well let out of the bottle and they're trying to figure out ways of tamping some of it back. And the problem that I have, and like you said, we're going to talk with Rick about this, is who determines what is hate speech? Uh, Who determines what is misinformation? Who's the one calling the balls and strikes on this? Uh, maybe some, just some basic regulation is in order. I don't deny that, but at the same time, I'd like to know who's going to be doing the regulating. If you get my meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, that they lean on that. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a private company. It can do whatever it wants, but you know, I've been here shouting into the, into the microphone for years. Yeah. Unless, unless you bake, unless you bake wedding cakes in Colorado, then it's no longer yeah, a private company. Then it's you see, not. Yeah. Then it's not. So it's, uh, it, it's like I said, the genie is well out of the bottle. I don't know how they close the lid on Pandora's box here, but they're going to, they're certainly going to try God knows. And, uh, I guess we see how it shakes out. Yeah, and it starts to get really convoluted when you start looking at entire, you know, sovereign nations, well, what we hope are sovereign nations, <laughs> but saying, okay, this is our hate speech law. And then you've got, you know, another one saying, these are our hate speech laws. And then, you know, you're dealing with yeah. that here where they try to use the the social media companies' terms and services to sort of regulate it in the meantime while they set up this grid in Canada, in Europe, in Australia, you know, New Zealand. So this is a very interesting uh, censorship industrial complex sort of moment that we're in right here with this case and with a lot of these things that we're going to be talking about with Rick. Well, exactly right. And I would just say this, that if you want to see what the extreme looks like, just take a look at China. Uh, you've got no internet freedom there and nobody raises a, a, a bloody word about it because uh, they fear that they will lose those billions of viewers and uh, those. God, think of all the shares we can get out of the Chinese people. So they just keep their head down and they shut up. But uh, it's it's a pretty big deal. Listen, before we take a break, I wanted to bring bring you up to speed on. I don't know if you watched, but today, right now, uh, Terrence Bradley, that is uh, the lawyer, the divorce attorney for Nathan Wade, is on the stand as. Uh, it looks like the defense is trying to get Fannie Willis bounced from this ridiculous case in, in Fulton County against President Trump. But I was reading in Breitbart that Fannie Willis subjected her employees to mandatory race training. And basically, absolutely, you got to read it. We don't have time to get into it, Hesh. But let me just say this. She was doing DEI training where if you didn't label white people as bad, you had to restart the test. Now that sounds absurd. It sounds absurd, but it's absolutely truth. Uh, one of her former employees speaking on condition of anonymity, don't you know, uh, 
said it was an implicit bias test that was downloaded from a Harvard website for DEI. Willis had some guy live for roughly eight hours talking. He was a former member of Obama's White House. Uh, at any rate, some of the test uh, questions were basically name what's good, and then it was a picture of a black guy, and then name what's bad, and it was a picture of a white guy. If you didn't check good for black, bad for white, you failed the test. So this is the kind of office that's being run. This is why this woman doesn't appear to be too smart, because she's not. Fannie Willis is a direct result of DEI-type hiring. I mean, that's she's just not bright. And I, I don't give a damn what color she is. She's just not smart. Uh, but her employees, some of her former employees are coming out. If you want to read the piece on Breitbart, I highly recommend it. Uh, it says exclusive former employees reveal Fannie Willis's extreme DEI training forced to associate white with bad. Uh, and she rates all judges in Georgia based on their skin color <laughs> as to whether or not they're racist or not. She says the fairest judge is a female black judge. The least fair judge is a male or female white judge. So uh, <laughs> well, maybe she's not smart enough to make up her own test. Maybe she asked Google Gemini to make up that test. Oh, man. Did you did you remember we talked about that yesterday? And we said, I bet I bet Google's taking a hit today on the stock market. Alphabet, Google's parent company, shed 90 billion dollars in market share yesterday. After that Gemini disaster, which we knew it was going to, that's as predictable as a sunrise, but 90 billion. God, Trump's probably saying, I thought I had it bad. <laughs> Massive number. <laughs> I'm telling you. Anyway, listen, you're watching State of the Nation. We've got a big, big show for you. We take a quick break. We come back and we will be joined uh, by our friend and colleague from TNT, Rick Mudd, coming up on State of the Nation on today's News Talk. TNT. TNT's Misty Winston. We've really seen uh, the, the attacks on press freedom have always existed. Powerful people do not like their secrets exposed. Um, that's a no-brainer, right? And so th there's always been attacks on press freedom. However, there has been a significant and marked increase. I think really um, it started kicking off really under Bush, but certainly under Obama. That It really went into hyperdrive. T uh, Trump took that and just absolutely ran with it. Um, I mean, he's the guy that had Assange arrested. Um, that really sets an unbelievable precedent just in general. And so now we're starting to see it spiral out of control. Misty Winston on today's News Talk TNT. TNT is an independent global news talk station that does what others only say they do. TNT is a live radio and TV broadcaster that simply tells the truth 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No one in the world does what we do. Crisscrossing the globe, providing credible news and opinion all day and all night. In two and a half years, TNT has become a credible and exciting platform with brilliant hosts and staff. It's a critical time, and we must continue to call out the misinformation and propaganda from mainstream media and their powerful sponsors. We're now appealing to our many friends and supporters around the world to go to TNTradio.live and make a small donation to TNT while we seek the right investors to continue our important mission. Plug in. Website. TNTradio.live. Check it out. Today's News Talk Radio. It's the coolest. TNT. All right, well, we're going to talk about international and national laws built around the idea of 
uh, always ill-defined terms, as we were mentioning in the in the opening there, hate speech and safety and public well-being, stuff like that. EU's signature piece of social media regulation known as the Digital Services Act, or DSA, Canada's Bill C-18, or the Online News Act, but there's also Australia's News Media and Digital Platforms Mandatory Bargaining Code. Wow. Uh, And then there's the uh, Online Safety and Media Regulation Act that was signed into law by Irish President Michael Higgins in December of 22. Joining us to discuss all of this, our TNT colleague, host of Locked and Loaded with Rick Munn. It is the aforementioned Rick Munn. Rick, welcome to the program, my friend. It's great to see you. How are you today? I'm I'm doing good. All the better uh, for seeing you two beautiful gentlemen here tonight gracing my little uh, computer screen. So yeah, it's all go at the minute. Uh, no rest for the wicked. Right. <laughs> well, you might have to rest soon if you're wicked, at least wicked according to Irish law. And that's that's the slippery slope we find ourselves on here, Rick. Maybe you can kind of walk us through this because we're all very concerned about who the rule writers are, who are the umpires, who's the referee in this game of online hate speech? Well, the figurehead, if you want to call them that in Ireland, is the Irish Justice Minister, who is a, a lady by the name of Helen McEntee. Uh, I don't believe she has uh, put anything together. I think something has been put together, given to her, and then presented uh, to the Irish Parliament and to the Irish people, along with a, a plea that this is absolutely necessary to protect people, uh, to stop murders, to stop uh, mass discrimination against uh, marginalised groups in Ireland. But the fact of the matter is, Ireland does have hate speech laws. They've had hate speech laws for a very, very long time. All this is simply is a tightening up of the ones that already exist for no real reason in particular, given that they can't actually really define what hate is in the first place when Helen McEntee was asked to define what is hatred. She says, well, I can't quite describe it. And this is also a woman who can't describe what a woman is. And also she calls people like us far-right extremists without being able to define what far-right extremists actually are. It's a complete nonsense, but hey, that's Ireland as per right now. (laughs) Now, Rick, I've been seeing scuttlebutt in my social media feeds about how um, under this, this, these new rules and is, are they develop, are there more that they're adding to them now? Because now I'm seeing people basically saying, um, if your phone gets confiscated and you have the mm-hmm. wrong meme on it, that you can do a year in in jail or prison or something like that, even if you didn't have, uh, I don't know how they would determine this, but even if you didn't have intent to distribute said meme. Yeah, well, if you've seen Minority Report, you know, there's a thought crime unit where they arrest people before crimes are actually committed. That's the principle Helen McEntee and co are trying to apply to the Irish at the moment. So if my phone tonight was to get confiscated, for example, and they were to see 10 memes on there that might offend someone if I posted them online, then the duty is on me to prove that I was not going to offend anyone by posting them online, not the other way around. So uh, a lot of uh, a lot of gray areas in this uh, legislation that's coming in, guys. Uh, it's still being tweaked. Uh, people are not happy with it. Of course, the government are saying that this is what the people want. It's not. It's what government ministers want. The people, by and large, don't want it. There's people being knifed, murdered, crimes running amok in Ireland at the minute. The last thing that we need or the lowest on our list of priorities is legislation. 
situation that might cause somebody offense. If you or I said a hurty word that someone might take offense from, and it's worth noting as well, offense is not something that you can give. Offense is only something that you can take. You can't give offense to anybody. Someone can only take offense at what you've actually said. So the whole thing, in my opinion, is a, is a complete nonsense. But uh, we're working, trying to work around it and dance around these laws that are coming out and uh, avoid prison uh, at all costs. <laughs> and avoid prison at all costs. Yeah, that's always a good way to start the day. Um, yeah. you, know, you know, Rick, I, I think that if we were going to be honest about this subject, because we're seeing this, we're seeing it in north of our border, Canada. We're seeing a lot of these laws come into books. They're even debating it here in the United States. That's not going to go well with our First Amendment rights. But when we're talking about the Internet, we're talking about globally. And we've seen this, like I said, Canada, of course, Australia is dealing with this. Uh, 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 Europe in general is looking at it. And what are we really talking about here? We're talking about discrimination. And it seems to me like governments around the world, specifically Western democracies around the world, are tamping down on anyone that might have the nerve to bitch about illegal immigration. Uh, and that's what's going on, isn't it? That's what this is about. This is about how dare you call out, you know, how dare you show any anger about our open borders and immigration policy, which we're dealing with here, but they're dealing with it in Europe. You're probably dealing with it in Ireland and the UK as we well. Are. Yeah. yeah, big time. And here's the thing. Why should you have a problem calling out something that's illegal? You know, why should there be a problem with me criticizing illegal immigration by its very definition? It's illegal. Therefore, we should be calling it out. Politicians should be calling it out. The border should be more tightly policed to stop illegality happening on a day by day basis. And you're right. It's not just uh, it's, it's probably vol volume wise worst in America, because obviously your guys population is in the hundreds of millions. Ireland uh, only has a population of five to six million people. And the last year alone, there was 140,000 people uh, flooded into this country, putting huge pressure on infrastructure, nowhere to put them, putting them up in hotels, B&Bs, guest houses, tourist industries destroyed, homeless people in Ireland being stepped over uh, to facilitate so-called asylum seekers and refugees. So uh, I know the same thing's happening in America. And I've seen New York, I've seen uh, what's happening in San Francisco. I'm seeing what's happening down in Texas at the minute, you guys have the same issues, albeit on a bigger scale, but the problem is still there. Illegal mass immigration. Yeah. Yeah. Hard to believe that you could be called a hate speaker for calling out something that is already illegal in your country. Um, we got a headline inbound here, but when we get back, let's talk about how this affects the three of us and our colleagues here at TNT, because, you know, that's something that I think about a lot. It's like we're a global network. We have hosts mm -hmm. in all of these continents and more. So, at, you know, is there, you know, what, what are our vulnerabilities? What are we doing wrong? I mean, we're literally sitting here doing exactly that, talking about the laws of our country, using open source information to discuss ideas bringing all the guests on that we can bring that have interesting ideas and, and, and responses and analyses to current events, to history. Um, so I don't understand why that is such a terrible thing to uh, the, you know, Atlanticist block, you know, that want to control the internet. Well, I do understand, but if we are the nations we say we are, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk TNT. I have some good news. Uh, uh. TNT Radio News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. 
Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov claimed that all weapons supplied to Kiev, including U.S.-made M1 Abrams tanks, will burn. Aaron Bushnell, a 25-year-old active duty member of the U.S. Air Force from San Antonio, Texas, died from injuries after setting himself on fire outside the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C. to protest what he described as the genocide of Palestinians in Gaza. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab, or Getter? Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT radio all right you know tnt we provide something that i can't really locate anywhere else uh as as we've been saying on the show in some of our newer reads as you may be hearing in the breaks we're literally the only one on the planet that we know of that broadcasts 24 7 and does not censor hosts or tell hosts what they're what they need to be saying or any of that um so I feel like that itself is at stake. You know, I don't like saying that. I don't like voicing that. Uh, we love our TNT. We love working here. We love you watching us and listening to us. And um, we simply want to have these discussions and seek truth and, and you know, tangible analysis of some sort, Rick. So what do you think's at stake here? And what do we do? I mean, do we just keep doing what we're doing? Is there action that should be taken? We'll have to keep doing what we're doing until we physically cannot do it anymore. And if you cast your mind back, it's almost it's two years and one day since the so-called special military operation uh, where Russia went into Ukraine. One of the first things that happened, uh, if you can remember, is RT News, for example, was banned in many, many countries. You know, uh, RT had to close down their American operation. I can't get RT News on the internet here because there's a block on it by our regulator, which is Ofcom. So with the best will in the world, there's only so much we can do because we don't have the tools to override, for example, a, an IP ban or a, a blanket ban against us uh, if Ofcom in the UK was to do that, for example. But let's be honest about it. If we weren't a threat, guys, if we were not a threat, they would just let us carry on regardless. They would look at us as a joke. The fact that media outlets that are challenging government narratives are being so heavily clamped down upon, all these laws are coming out in different names, shapes and forms globally at the minute shows that the truth is something that is to be feared by globalists above all else and the truth can stand up to scrutiny but lies cannot stand up to scrutiny and what we do here is dissect the lies on a day-by-day -day basis and mandate that the truth is told therefore we are a threat and therefore we need to be ultimately shut down shut down and i would be very very surprised uh, if we're not in somebody's sights even as we speak because of the proposition we have as you've rightly pointed out hesher we're the only outfit on the world in the world at this point in time that does this on a 24 7 live basis with the video streaming and everything else and we're only getting stronger so therefore we're a threat yeah and the threat is going to become bigger and bigger and more and more and 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 frankly it's going to be harder for them to defend this uh as we do grow because as we get exponentially larger in size and in audience then they're shutting a lot more people's ears and mouths to the truth and you know it's not even what we say is the truth it's just discussing what we see as untruths and hesher to your to hesher's point it does seem to be the atlantis groups i mean it's 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 us it's europe it's the uk it's australia uh it, it, it's our kiwi friends all of them almost simultaneously seem to be thinking about how do we crack down on all of this? And you know what, what I, 
all I can think of is WEF, World Economic Forum. I mean, I hate to, once upon a time, I would have thought I sounded like a tinfoil hat wearer to say all this, but now it's becoming abundantly clear. We talked about the uh, immigration. First, we saw it under Andrea Merkel and in, in, in Germany, and then all of Europe and Sweden is a mess right now with it. It's happening in Ireland, as you point out. It's happening in the UK. And anybody that raises their head and complains about it, they're tamped down. And I think the best way for them to tamp it all down is to just say, we're going to throttle the internet. And good God help us, should that ever happen. Well, that's what they that's what they want. Uh, I mean, let's be let's be realistic about this too. There was resistance. There were revolutions in the world in the past pre-internet days. And whilst it would be a massive setback to be taken off air, for example, and I hope and believe that that won't actually happen with TNT. That's my hope and belief. If it does, if the worst comes to the worst, it's not lights out. For the resistance, you know, if you've watched uh, Terminator 1, you'll realize that you can mount uh, a reasonably good resistance against Cyberdyne systems uh, just using, uh, uh, you know, some uh, lighters and uh, some fuses that are bought at your local hardware <laughs> store, uh, throwing little pipe bombs around the place. And of course, I'm joking, we don't advocate violence, but there's ways and means, guys, is what I'm trying to say. But it would be a massive setback if, for example, we were to be shut down or in independent stations were to be shut down, like uh, alternative current uh the network that you run as well, uh, Hesher in the Boiler Room, Patrick Henningsen's uh, outfit on 21st Century War, and many, many others. Uh, it would definitely be a blow, but not a killer blow, but definitely uh, a hurting blow nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've suffered blows already. You know, we've been in the sights of this sort of thing for years now. You know, our coverage of uh, the the war in Syria. Uh, you know, so many different things have have put us on various radars, various heat maps, you know, uh, college professors running little cottage industries, getting, you know, some some money from the Atlantic Council or Facebook or some NGO, you know, they start coming after you. But this is truly um, something that needs to be discussed a lot, I think, Rick. And, you know, it doesn't just apply to, you know, if, you, if you're out there watching and say, well, this applies to media outlets. No, 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 no. It applies to you as well. It applies to your ability to post things on your Facebook. You may have noticed that's already been nerfed big time. It applies to your ability to, to go on various video streaming platforms and maybe make a video if you have strong opinion about something. Uh, and it might mean that you're going to get a knock on the door someday because somebody called and said, hey, that person was mean to me. I think you should go over there, confiscate their phone and see if they have any outrage or offensive material on their digital assets. You know, I mean, it's um, it really does come down to the normal person. And to Steve's point, uh, if you run this all back to. Um, go read Klaus Schwab's book. It's called The Great Reset. He says exactly what he wants to do. And it's a technocratic uh, faux utopia that runs individuals based on their digital ID, their use of central banking digital currency, and uh, coming soon to a, uh, a dystopia near you, a universal basic income where they control your money. They see exactly what you spend it on. You have no anonymity whatsoever. And then guess what? Your ability to operate in society is run under a social credit system, all of what goes on in China. So with that as the uh, context there, Rick, I'll give it to you for uh, any final thoughts you have on this. 
Well, one thing, just to put everything into perspective as well, and just to big up TNT, you guys, the work that you guys are doing, the work that all the presenters are doing, it's been running now live on air since January of 2022. And uh, I've been here since day one, pretty much, okay? And the growth has been massive. So whenever we first started off, midweek presenters, I think there was six of us in total. I used to have to do four-hour shifts, and then we did 12-hour uh, repeat cycles, and then there was a few people on at the weekends. There was no video stream streaming there were no uh video producers and whatnot it was very much let's get our hands dirty and let's see what happens and when you look at the way tnt has evolved over the last two years to the point that it's at now where we are a viable very credible alternative news uh, media network that is a global proposition that should also give us uh how would you say a little bit of uh, oomph and a little bit of encouragement maybe if we're feeling a little bit down or maybe we feel like you know are we even making any progress guys we definitely definitely are because the growth here has been incredible over the last two years and i think with the trajectory that we're on and the velocity that we're on you know i believe tnt will either be the biggest independent news network on planet earth or we're going to implode there is not going to be a middle ground with tnt we're either going to take it all or we're going to get implode and that's always been my feeling about it and i i like that you know is it red or black in the roulette well you know it's one or the other there is no middle ground <laughs> that's why i love being in the mosh pit here with you rick munn locked and loaded with rick munn airs weekdays from 10 a.m to 11 a.m london time 5 a.m to 6 a.m new york time and 8 p.m to 9 p.m brisbane time rick munn excellent conversation really glad we got to catch up with you today uh have Pleasure. a great rest of the week of shows here at tnt we'll look forward to speaking with you again real soon take care guys thank you this is State of the Nation on today's News Talk TNT. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. If you tuned into one of the three major cable networks on Saturday night at 7 p.m. when the polls closed in South Carolina to see how long it would take for Donald Trump to be declared the winner, well, let's just say you better have been on time. The polls have now closed at 7 p.m. We are waiting to see whether we will have a call in one direction or another or a too early to call. That has been the case in a few of the contests we've had. And as you can see there, and I'm learning this as I see it on your screen myself, we do have a call. We have projected a winner at polls closing. That was MSNBC, CNN was even faster in calling the race. Polling places are about to close in South Carolina. Five seconds left in the GOP presidential primary fight between Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. And right now, we can make a major projection. CNN projects that Donald Trump will win the South Carolina Republican primary, defeating former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley in her home state. And Fox News was just as quick. It is 7 p.m. here on the East Coast and the polls are officially closed in the state of South Carolina. Good evening, I'm Brett Baer. And good evening, everybody. I'm Martha McCallum, live here at Fox News headquarters in New York for our special coverage of the South Carolina Republican primary. And the Fox News decision desk can now project that former President Donald Trump will win the state's GOP primary. Yes, all in all, good night for Trump, very bad night for Nikki Haley in her own home state. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. Whatever happened to good, it's a word that gets thrown around a lot, and it's become our automatic answer to so much. Hey, how's things? Good. Your mom, your weekend? Good, good. 
Is good even that good anymore? At the Salvos, we believe good deserves better. Let's reclaim its true meaning. To us, good has always been about making a difference, and good never picks or chooses who it helps. Isn't it time we all remember what good really means? Conversations about what matters the most. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. California boasts being the leader in tackling climate change. So obviously some metrics and legislation need to be in place, right? I mean, that makes sense. Um, This is where the legislation kicks in. And could it have an unintended consequence as it relates to climate hysteria scams being shown for what they actually are? Reading from the Why California's Climate Disclosure Law Should Doom Green Energy article briefly. To lower the state's carbon footprint, the legislature recently passed a law requiring all companies doing over $1 billion in business within California to publicly disclose, by 2026, all their direct greenhouse gas emissions stemming from fuel combustion they utilize, as well as what they call indirect GHG emissions derived from the electricity heating and cooling they consume we're joined now by co-founder and president of cfact the committee for a constructive tomorrow craig rucker uh welcome back to state of the nation it's great to have you back with us so tell us did california's sort of the way i'm seeing this is like california kind of thought they had a common sense greenhouse gas reporting legislation here does that effectively doom the green energy narrative though i mean what, what's your take on this well it <laughs> Thanks, Brian. It's great to be back on your program again. Well, it absolutely should doom the uh, whole prospects of green energy in the state for the very reasons uh, you just outlined. Uh, Yes, there are increased gas emissions, even in renewable energy, which people don't consider. And uh, they also have to get the electricity to run some of these uh, operations and fabricate them, such as electric vehicles, which require a lot more energy-intensive Uh, electricity than standard uh, combustion engine gasolines. Also in the California legislation, they talk about scope three emissions, which are not just the ones you produce as a company or ones that are generated by the electricity you use, but also all your vendors and everything upstream. If that's the case, a lot of green energy components come from remote parts of the world, such as Africa in the Congo, and these are Chinese plants which get a lot of the rare earth minerals and belch out all sorts of CO2 emissions, in addition to using child labor. And also China itself, which is not exactly known for having the utmost in environmental standards either. So when you factor all these things into it, the renewable energy industry will probably belch out more CO2 emissions than if they had just kept their current electricity infrastructure in place. It's just, you know, I mean, I think as time goes on, Craig, we're finding out this is more of a scam than anything. This is this is the biggest massive wealth redistribution, power-hungry, grabbing scam ever. And now we see companies like Hertz Rent-A-Car. They 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 were gonna they they had dedicated a certain percentage of their fleet was gonna be all electric. Well, they pulled the plug literally and figuratively on that deal, and they said, you know what, screw that. Nobody wants to rent them. We get them in the lot, and people say, oh no, don't give me that car. Give me a gas car. Nobody wants to be stuck in the middle. Of, you know, Route sixty six. Get your kicks. But if you don't have any electricity, you're screwed. So, and also we're seeing the big the big major car company uh, uh, companies are are slowing production. 
At what point are the greenies going to just say, okay, well, we tried? Because I'm seeing this by 2035, if California had its way, there would be no gas-powered cars or big semis. And by the way, a big semi, they haven't even invented that yet. So what are they going to do? What's going to make them give up the ghost on this fraud? You know, it's a very good question that you raise there, Stephen, because I was going to say that uh, California is notorious for passing, almost like the former Soviet Union did, these ideas. And they think by legislating them, people will come around to doing them. It may surprise people to know that back in 2000, California had an EV mandate saying that 2% of all of its cars need to be electric vehicles by the year 2002 or something of that sort. They never met that mandate. They just basically forgot about it and didn't do it. Kind of like the old Soviet Union used to have five-year plans saying we'd get this much agricultural output in five years and this much steel output, and they never met them and things went on. I, I kind of suspect that'll be the case here. You're going to see a lot of companies already pulling back and saying they're not going to be able to get their fleets up to up to anywhere near what the Biden administration wants, which I believe is 67% of all uh, cars sold in the United States to be EVs by 2035 not, or 2032. Not going to happen. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I remember being in California back in that era and it was like, you know, the uh, hybrids became the big deal. Like first the hybrids started rolling out, you know, you saw your, your Prius was sort of the classic example. There's a really funny South Park episode about the mentality of people that <laughs> gravitated to Priuses right away. No offense if you have one, they're kind of neat cars, but it certainly wasn't <laughs> 2% of the population, probably not even still now that drives a hybrid and or EV at this point. And California, like you said, they're, they're going down the, the route of like old communists here. And they're saying, well, that didn't work. Maybe we should just apply more laws and we'll have this zero emission. Uh, they, they're saying that um, um, only zero emission vehicles can be sold in California by 2035. And the state must have, I, I want to get your comment on this, 100% clean electricity by 2045 has that been demonstrated anywhere yet that that's even accomplishable at all much less in this time frame uh, you bring up a great point i was going to say there's really two two parts to your question the first one dealing with uh, uh consumers are all ultimately deciding whether they want evs or not i've looked at some recent statistics i think in the entire state of virginia for example of all the motorists there's like 0.7% of the people have uh, electronic vehicle. California leads the nation at about 2.5% of their motorists have electric vehicles. That's a long way to go to be able to get, uh, you know, six, 7% of uh, the public to be driving these things. They're not being driven because consumers aren't buying them. As you said, God bless those who want EVs. If you happen to live in an area where you're maybe commuting in short ranges and uh, have the bucks to pour out for one of these things, you know, it's a free country, go do what you do. But for a lot of people, I just, and I'm in Florida right now, visiting family, driving down from Washington. I'm stopping and seeing a bunch of people on the way. This trip would be unbearable if I had to stop every few hours for 45 minutes to an hour to try and come down here. Crazy. Uh, the second part of your question, really, uh, you know, the whole idea of 100% clean energy, no country or anybody has achieved this. You look at nations like Denmark, which is the poster child of renewable energy. 
Uh, they get a lot of theirs from offshore wind. I think it's over 50% of their electricity. But the reason they're able to get away with that is they import electricity from nearby Sweden, which has massive amounts of hydropower. And because hydropower doesn't put out emissions, you know, like a coal plant does, they can claim uh, and get a claim for being a clean energy country. But again, it's only possible not from the wind that they're getting from or the solar energy. They're getting it principally from nearby Sweden and getting the extra electricity imported. Same with California. If they decide to go 100% clean and they boast to the nation, they're probably importing electricity from nearby Nevada, Texas, Arizona, places that have uh, gas-fired or uh, coal-fired power, and that's how they're able to achieve it. Places they're already stealing water from also. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's another story for another show, but yeah, a good point. And the thing that's so funny about this, Craig, is I know I've got a friend. He is a uh, owner-operator truck driver. He just won't go to California anymore. He goes, it's not worth it. He goes, it's not worth it. And he told me there's a whole cottage industry going on in Florida and California where truckers, and I think we've met, I think we may have mentioned this last time you were on the program, they'll pick up their load, say somewhere down on the docks and, uh, you know, somewhere in California and they just drive it across the state line. And then there's owner operators will pick it up in Nevada or Arizona and take it from there. But a lot of these owner operators are saying, no way. And you know why? Because the truck hasn't been invented yet that, that will meet the standards that California is pushing for. And even if that truck were invented, the weight of them, the infrastructure couldn't handle these trucks. I mean, it's amazing how how heavy these batteries are. I think I read an article recently. You may know more about this than I, Craig. But they said something like a battery for a truck that would be used for long haul, which, to your point, stopping every 45 minutes kind of defeats the purpose. But they said it would weigh over 16,000 pounds just for the battery. I mean, imagine all the bridges that are going to be outfitted with signs. If your truck weighs more than so much, you can't cross. It's just a disaster. It's common sense, but, you know, it seems to be out the window with California politicians. Well, and that's just it. I mean, uh, you're going to have to get battery backup, not just for a truck, which would be astronomical in terms of weight and size, but for a grid. If you're going to power a city or a state or anything of that sort, the uh, amount of batteries you would need is not even feasible. I mean, they've done study. We've had one of our scientific advisors, his name is David Wojcik, former Department of Energy official, look into how much would it cost to run our grid on solar and wind energy and the cost for the batteries alone would be somewhere around 170 trillion dollars now when you consider that the u.s gdp is about 22 trillion and these batteries would have to be replaced by the way about every eh, within 10 years uh that's a that's a cost that's just not realistic you're not going to run the grid entirely on solar and wind yeah, and it's my understanding from reading this also that uh, with regards to manufacturing for turbines and solar panels and batteries, most of that is concentrated in China, uh, where yeah. this is all being done on coal-based <laughs> production plants, right? I mean, so we're, we're it's almost like we're just taking the fake problem, throwing all this money and freedom at it uh, that we'll never see again, and then offshoring all of the supposed uh you know carbon crimes yeah and you got to head into china they're not fools i mean they're building as many coal plants between now and the year 2030 as we currently have in our fleet they're going hog wild building and licensing new coal plants all the time they do this because they know we're 
gutting our energy and electricity system. The heavy industries won't be able to do business in Western Europe and in the United States. They're going to have to go somewhere, so they'll go to China. Then they're also smart because they're building the components for us to kill ourselves, which is renewable energy. They have kind of a, uh, a monopoly on the world's rare earth minerals that are needed to do this. And they're even going to step further where we do have those rare earth minerals. China's buying up the land and getting uh, liberal politicians to block it off and make them into national parks or national monuments. So we can't even mine our own. They're funding green groups. So, uh, you know, through proxies, uh, but this has been brought out in Congress. So, you know, they got quite a thing going where they're uh, positioning themselves to really pick up the pieces after we, you know, commit economic harikari. Yeah. You know, Craig, all I can think of when I think of this is, and and I don't mean to sound flippant here, I'm deadly serious. These people hate their country and they hate their fellow countrymen. They don't want, they, they, if it were up to them, uh, we'd be fishing out of the same river we were, uh, you know, we, we were using to wash our clothes. And uh, they, they want us back to this agrarian, it's a degrowth movement. And really, it's a decapitalism uh, de movement. And the, the irony of it all is we, we, we rely on China as the good guy that's going to help us pull our, pull our ass out of this sling of pollution and, and carbon that we're dumping into the air. China's going to be the, be the big angel here. <laughs> While they're building as many coal-fired plants as they can, it's absurd. They're elitists. They think they're exempt from all this. They they realize that while the little people may have to, uh, you know, drive these expensive electric vehicles, or more, what they prefer is take public transportation. Maybe eat insects, and they get to and control our thermostats so we can't even set our own temperatures in our homes. They'll be living comfortably. I mean, they're the ones taking private jets to these conferences and these environmental conferences and the like. So, you know, I, I don't think they view themselves as having to pay the consequences of their actions. So, yeah. so Craig, um, in our last couple of minutes here, how do you see this playing out with this law? Like if it were applied properly to a fortune 100 company there that was pushing, I don't know, say like Solyndra hadn't folded, like what would, what would we potentially learn from it if this law was uh, done properly? If it were done properly, green energy would get a failing score and California would realize that they might be, as I said, belching out more emissions by going with green energy than if they just kept their current infrastructure in place. But my guess is they're not going to take such a, a an inventory. They'll only inventory the industries that they don't prefer. The ones that they prefer uh, are allowed to kill birds, they're <laughs> allowed to disrupt whales, they're allowed to uh, get materials from China, and they won't much care. The good news in all this, though, is they are losing. The red states in particular are taking actions to stop this. Uh, I helped craft a bill, which has now uh, just got through both chambers in Arizona and also, I guess, I think in Nebraska or Kansas, one of those two, uh, which will outlaw the use of child and slave labor and the construction of electric vehicles. Um, we're seeing big boys like uh, uh, BlackRock last week and and um, State Street and JP Morgan say they're not going to be part of this Climate Action 100. They're realizing that investing in these green technologies is a money loser and it's ticking people off. So I think there's reason for optimism, even though at the moment, well, California is giving us all a chance to learn uh, what will happen when you go down the wrong path. So in a way, I appreciate them existing for that purpose, if nothing else. <laughs> That's a backhanded compliment if ever there was one. Thanks, California. Keep it up. Um, 
Yeah, well, Craig, listen, uh, we want to thank you for being part of the show. It looks it looks as if, I think you're right. I think that there is hope here. I think more and more people are waking up to the common sense aspect of it, and they just realize this. Th- th- these folks aren't really interested in green energy. They're not really interested in saving the planet. They're interested in control. Uh, and 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 that's what they're uh, that's what they're going for, and it looks like it's backfiring on them. Craig Rucker, thank you very much. CFAC, last word. Where can we find you online before we say goodbye? Absolutely, people can find out more at cfact.org. That's C-F-A-C-T dot O-R-G. Okay, there you go. Thank you very much, Craig. You're watching State of the Nation on today's News Talk TNT.